Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty. All right, welcome back to Liquid Lunch. It's me, Hugh. It's Andrews here. It's Thursday. And now we're joined by Marco Simone, managing partner at Parker Simone. Good uh, afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Um, so, um, and now you guys are an accounting firm. Do you want to just kind of give us a general... About the exciting profession of accounting? Well, we were talking about how exciting <laughs> it is now. You know, helicopters and parachuting, it's uh, getting more exciting all the time. I think it's what it allows you to do that's exciting. I don't know. I see it's these commercials career. on TV, and I am uh, rethinking my career. Although I have to say, I did take accounting at university. I was in business. And it chased you away. That's why you're doing this. I, I tell you, I, I enrolled in the course, and I think I missed the first class, and it was really <laughs> packed. And, and the teacher was, like, going really fast. And I still, even today, have trouble with the concepts of debit and credit. So I, I actually dropped out of that course about two weeks in and just decided I was going to go in a different direction than accounting. And here you are. Well, here I am, but and here you are. you are. You stuck it out, and actually uh, it's interesting, but what was, it, uh, what was it that attracted you to accounting? And I know lots of accountants, and they're fantastic people, but what was it that, you know... Do you want me to make up a story or tell you the truth? Uh, well, tell us the truth What's first, and then we'll do a second cut with a story of some sort. Okay. Um, I, I'm not the typical accountant. I didn't go into accounting for the typical reasons. I, um, I, character, I barely finished high school. I ended up taking time off after high school, did not go to university, worked in a factory for a while, um, worked at Labatt's in London, Ontario. That's my hometown. That's a good factory to work in, right? A lot of free beverages. Really? <laughs> well, when I worked there, they used to have um, a bar there. It was a, it was it was open twenty four hours a day for oh the employees. God. And you could go oh there even if you're God. on your shift. Oh yeah, it, it, it um, depending on which department you worked on, you either went on in on your coffee break or on your lunch, and yeah. everybody was allowed to go in after work. Oh, I see. So okay. you finish work at midnight and yeah go have free beer till 3 in the morning and then go home. Did wow. they offer counseling on the job as well? <laughs> <laughs> that <God>. comes later. <laughs> the counseling was how to, how to drink beer quickly. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you wanted to leave that job. <laughs> free beer only goes so far in your life. But I worked there for three or four years and decided I needed to do something else with my life. I didn't want to be there the rest of my life. Yeah. So I looked around at what I was good at, and I knew I could. I was good at multiplying, adding, subtracting, and dividing. And I knew accounting had something to do with that. So that's why I chose accounting. I knew Seriously, nothing about the profession. Seriously, that's simple. That matter of fact. Yeah. Wow. Oh, also, and I used to see ads for CAs, you know, and saw their income ranges that they were offering. Yeah. That attracted me as well. Yeah. <laughs> Because you could buy a lot of beer with that. <laughs> That's it. right. Because now you have to <laughs> the buy premium it. beer. It's not free anymore <laughs> once you leave that dream job. <laughs> My understanding is that bar is no longer exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, because the counseling fees you, were just through the roof. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, just curious, where did you go to school for accounting then? Uh, I went to the University of Western Ontario. Hometown. For two years. Hometown, then spent a year at Queen's University. And okay. I decided to move to the big city of Toronto to work. You know, I'm going to ask you a weird question. Just okay. because um, I've often thought and been involved in discussions where people have raised the idea that maybe, like, because there are rules to accounting, like generally accepted accounting, accounting practices principles. or okay. whatever you call it now. Gap. Yeah, gap. You remember that from your high school course, university course. University, yeah. <laughs> See, but now I've, I've learned everything's changed, so I'm, you know. Just a little bit. Could be wrong about that. But now it's gasp. <laughs> that comes later, too. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering um, if you, because you're in, in, in the field, do you think that the rules around accounting accurately reflect the financial position of a business? Mm. And I know that's what it's supposed to do, but some people talk about, um, you know, how we deal with depreciation and that sort of thing you know do you think the rules uh, are uh, create an an accounting framework that accurately reflects the financial position healthiness of of businesses well just to throw a little bit of a curve in there like we no longer have gap we have accounting standards uh, it's Mm -hmm. called ASPE accounting standards for private enterprises or we have international financial reporting standards the okay. old ASPE or the current ASPE is very close to what we used to call GAP okay. um, for private companies. And um, well, as the world gets more complex, you, um, from an accounting perspective, you have to deal with that complexity in financial reporting. And whenever you deal with more complexity, you always have to make um, certain judgments with respect to transactions. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of businesses out there, especially owner-managed people, businesses, they're not very complex transactions. It's fairly straightforward. The accounting policies that you follow are quite reflective of the financial operations of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, accuracy, as you call it. Uh, it's when you get into more complex transactions, you have to make more sophisticated judgments where there can be room for... Um, having slightly different answers depending on which judgments you apply. Mm-hmm. Okay, is it true that you can spin anything to look any way you want? I guess I shouldn't be asking you this. Well, as an I? old boss of mine used to say, uh, was it, figures don't lie, liars figure. Wow. Wait, what? So, what was that? Figures don't lie, liars figure. If someone wants to manipulate the they can only get away with it for so long before it becomes obvious as to what's happening to someone else. And you look at all the great frauds that have happened, uh, Enron, WorldCom, uh, LiveNet, it all eventually gets caught up because you can only manipulate those numbers and hide something for so long until the numbers get bigger and bigger and you're hiding a bigger and bigger problem. Okay, let me ask you about this, and I don't even know if this is an issue. Because it's been a long time since I've even thought about accounting uh, at a theoretical level or whatever. But, uh, like, because didn't they in the old days used to, like, when they counted, say, a real estate asset? Yep. They would always just count it <coughs> at the price that they bought it for. Right, at cost. At yep. cost, right? Yeah. Is that still the way it is? Because, 
in a way, if you just do that and the markets are um, escalating, the, the price of yep. a real, then that would seem to me to be a, a distortion in, in that, that keeps getting bigger as time goes on. Well, under ASPE, it's still fairly well at, at cost. Lower cost or um, see, this is the kind of net thing, realizable value. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. In um, international standards, yeah. On a, there's a you can, especially if you're in the business of managing real estate or owning and managing real estate, you don't have to follow the cost principle. You can value your real estate every year and record the increase or decrease in value. Yeah. Um, as the years progress, and the logic behind that is is it's a management decision to hold on to the asset. And we all know that real estate in the long run goes up in value, so are they making the right decision and recognizing that income, and they call it, it appears of what they call the other comprehensive income line item, mm-hmm. uh, so that management's decision to hold the asset is reflected in the statements. So how does that... I mean, what are the implications of, of having one system where that is a, where you're allowed to uh, account for the increase in market value, and the other system where you have to hold on a cost basis? Generally speaking, public companies have to follow international financial reporting standards. So there's, with the exception, and um, my experience is larger. Co- private Canadian companies, they will move from ASPE to international standards uh, because they want to be more comparable to, say, their international competitors from a financial reporting perspective. So there is that dichotomy, but like the, you the, the notes in the financial statement explain the policy, so it's not like they're hiding anything? Because I understand, and I'm, we're just having a conversation yep. here, but, um, you know, because a company... And I'm really not a big super accounting guy, but uh, you have two weeks of accounting. We've established that. Yeah, actually less. <laughs> uh, but you know, if you've got, uh, I guess, the balance sheet where you show the uh, the value of a company, but it's based on the value of the cost price of the real estate, then right. you're kind of undervaluing. And haven't there been cases in the past where? someone walked in they bought a company or they wanted to buy a company and it turns out that the value of the company was higher just by liquidating the real estate than the value of the company as an int- on paper as an intact company that actually produced something it can happen because there are different ways to value a company yeah so there's the, um, you can value you know there's probably four or five different ways to value a company and yeah. one is to look at the operations being the income statement and saying what cash is that generating and doing some sort of a cash flow and present valuing that number back. Yeah. And another way is to look at the balance sheet and say, okay, if I liquidate this, what do I get for it? Mm-hmm. And so and that will, can, will usually direct, come up with a different value than valuing the operations, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Well, I guess today... Sometimes close to the same. Buyers and sellers, if they're doing their due diligence, would have to check all those different values. And they do. And they yeah. do. Yeah. Was there ever a time they didn't? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they probably always did some sort of due diligence. But, yeah. you know, yeah. everything's more complex now. If you don't know what you're doing, doing so. you might not, though, right? If you don't know what you're doing. Then you shouldn't be buying a business. True. That's a good point. This is why I would not <laughs> well, make a good CPA. <laughs> 
So, but no, seriously, I think that it's a lot more exciting than you're you're letting us on because I all this fraud stuff that you hear about. I mean, that's all really exciting stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> well, truly, I mean, because I mean, your job is to make sure they're following the book, right? They're sticking to. Right. Okay. We'll call it that way. Yeah. So, so really, what people are doing is trying not to, but not getting caught. Is that right? Very few people are like that. Oh. Most people are quite honest. Seriously? Yeah. Most people are quite honest. Most people want to do the right thing. Okay. I believe that. Yeah. Especially in Canada. Do you have a lot of international clients? Um, we have, over the years, had a number of clients with international operations. Okay. Canadian so, companies with foreign subsidiaries. Okay. So does, could, But like you said, then they follow international. Right. So does that make them... That still does not make them an international client, then, from your perspective? They're still a Canadian client? Uh, they're still Canadian uh, operating. Yeah. Okay. The parent companies here, um, they'll have an operation, say, Singapore or Mongolia or South, okay. a- South America or Africa or something like that. So, so, so they how... could be a Canadian company with international operations. How would we describe it that way? Okay, so how familiar do you have to be in international stuff because you are dealing with all those other companies too, right? And, and, and they will follow their own guidelines as well to some degree, yeah? Uh, yes. And so therefore, my job as the auditor, because usually when I'm going to these countries, I'm the auditor of, uh, for the, the Canadian parent. Okay. I have to go and I have to go to the company. I have to meet the auditors there. I have to review their work in detail. I have to look for those differences between the local accounting policies that they're following and the Canadian policies. I have to look for the differences in Canadian audit standards versus the, say, Mongolian audit standards. So what do you do when there's a conflict, a direct conflict? What do you do? Well, then you have to identify, number one, identify it. Then you have to quantify it. And then it's a question of making sure that at the parent company level, you do a consolidation entry to convert it over to okay. the Canadian company's standards. So who decides all of these standards? The, the Illuminati, Canadian. right? <laughs> well, I mean, really. bureaucrats. <laughs> who have, are these bureaucrats who also are CPAs and that yeah. kind of thing as well? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Does it, when you have new things happening, like, like changing gap to ASPE, is it? What's it called? Yes. Okay. Very good. So when, when you do that, um, have you agreed with all the changes? Me personally? Yeah. Like, do, do most people, most uh, CPAs agree with the changes or, or are you thinking, why would they do that? Well, sometimes you scratch your head and wonder why they do it. Okay. Um, but in Canada, there's the, uh, Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada, the oversight body for the Canadian profession, and they work with the International Financial Reporting Standards Body to develop standards. There's a committee, an international committee, that works on the standards. And they'll develop concepts, they'll develop, uh, they'll call them exposure drafts, and then they they, they, um, ask for input from from the profession. So okay. I could, if, oh, I, if I don't like something, if I have the time and I want to read it and I don't like it, I can write and comment on it and explain what I don't like about it, what I like about it, how they should change it. Wow. 
Okay, that's good. So there is an input from firms. Most of the input, though, comes from the larger firms. They've got the time and resources to have someone spend a few weeks analyzing something. I'd sooner be like taking care of my clients and yeah, worrying about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most, mostly, you would agree with the changes and things. Some of them I don't agree with. Some of them uh, you know, are usually for the better. Okay. Are any, have you ever seen any that came out that you just said really, like that really kind of makes silly, your, silly or harmful even, or just not logical? Like, well, there is. There's one standard that I don't agree with, but. You have to follow it, companies, and that's in the international financial reporting standards world. Uh, in particular, it has to do with stock-based compensation. A company issues options yeah. to their senior executives, directors. Right. You have to value those options. Up front. And in a company, if I if you pick a large public company, yeah, um, it's not a big issue. Yeah. Um, you come up with a value that's fr- that's that appears to be quite reasonable in a. A small public company, um, there's about five or six variables that go into determining that stock-based compensation, and, and you use a formula called the Black-Scholes model. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one factor in there that has the biggest impact on the value of the the options is the standard deviation that you calculate, the standard deviation of the uh, the, the volatility of the share price over a period of time. So a smaller company would... It's usually volatile shares. Right. So, so it could be $0.05 cents one day, $0.25, cents, $1, wow. $0.03. Cents. So there's big volatility to their stock price. And hence, the volatility factor, which is a form of standard deviation, is a very large number. Oh. And it ends up resulting in a very large stock-based compensation expense that the client has to book. Yeah. And you look at it and go, this doesn't make sense. Would there, but well, you have to book it. You what would a be choice. a better way of deciding that value? Yeah. Do you have a, an alternative suggestion? Um, I like the old way, not value it at all. Because in, in the small companies, there's very little value to those options. Right. Uh, the people know there's big volatility. Yeah. And usually they will hold on to those options till the very end. Yeah. And if the price is above the option, then they'll exercise it. Right. Last five, six years, hardly anybody has exercised options in these small companies because there's no value in them. But when they issue them, they have to book this expense. Right. Hmm. And it's a large number. I've seen it be in the seven digits for a small company. It's an expense yeah. to the business. Yeah. Well, that's good for tax purposes, isn't it? It's not deductible for cat tax. Okay, well, that's... The interesting uh, thing is... Yes. When they first brought out stock-based compensation... Yeah. The U.S. quickly adopted it and didn't fight it. Yeah. And it turned out that um, in the U.S., stock-based compensation is deductible for tax purposes. So it's a non-cash expense that they got to deduct. Wow. So... In Canada, you can't deduct it. So that would be maybe a a new rule you would recommend to uh, uh, CRA? Let them deduct it? Yeah. Why not? They add it to employment income when they option it. So then when that would be... Exercise the option. That would be okay then to have this large valuation. It would help if the companies dedu- out, yeah. right? If, if you're, you're getting a deduction, yeah. Right. Okay, there's one. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Hey, you know, I wanted to ask you about just uh, just your sense of the health of companies, either in Canada or around the world these days. You know, people are talking about, you know... I mean, there's some people yep. out there concerned about the economy, global economy, just in general. 
Um, so I'm just your sense of it, looking at the books of these companies and being in the profession, just what's your general sense? And I've heard things like companies are, in general, uh, have very low debt or something like that, but, <laughs> which sounds good, right? So I'm just, just your general sense of the health of companies these days. Well, most days. of my work is in the private company world. Yeah. Mm. So, and it really varies on the industry. We've got some clients that are doing extremely well, quite profitable, growing, not a lot of debt on their balance sheet. And then there's other companies, say, in the uh, resource sector mm-hmm. or, uh, that are struggling. Well, right now. They're, right now, yeah. well, right now, it's been going on for since about 08. Okay. You mean national so, resources? It, like. Yeah, mining companies, just commodities, mineral exploration companies. Yeah, yeah, companies exploring for gold, copper, iron ore, whatever it is, they're struggling big time, uh, trying to find cash to pay their simple bills every day. They can't raise money. They can't raise money. Investment bankers are struggling as well because they have all these contacts in the public company world that they can't raise money for, so they don't have any revenue, Mm -hmm. and so they're struggling in Canada. I get these notifications from IROC, uh, and it's something like close to 50% of investment bankers have closed down in the past few years in Canada. Just no business. It's so tough. the companies that are doing well, what are, kinds of companies are those? Um, real estate. Uh, okay. Home builders, construction related. So um, try and true. That's like distribution. I have a client that's doing well. They're in the uh, food related distribution business. Um, so you know, just different ones. It just depends. Software companies. Does real estate got a ever good not do well? You don't remember the late '80s and early '90s? Why? What happened then? Can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a crash, but even the, even the housing market, I guess. Well, in Toronto, it wasn't so bad, though, right? Oh, prices dropped like thirty percent. But that's not, that's like everybody said that was a bubble, and it was just starting to. And we're not in a bubble now. Well, no, 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 no. This is no bubble. <laughs> 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 okay, we're in a bubble. But when are we? Like, okay, so it's it seems the bubble is the norm, and not being in the bubble is the exception. And every time. They start talking about we're into a new normal. You know we're in a bubble of some sort, whether it's an okay. economic one or whatever. Okay. Just like the old te- when t- tech stocks were booming. Oh yeah. In the early two thousands, it was a new world they talked about. Yeah. And all of a sudden it crashed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because finally it caught up all those valuations. Wow. I mean, think sure. about that though. Now, if this is a bubble, which. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Even the government is is trying to figure out how to kind of tame the markets a little bit. Because um, you talk about real estate is a good sector and build Why building is, is a good sector. Well, those are both related, right? Right? They're both related to the value of real estate, right? Sometimes I, I think about that's maybe we're we're that's where all, all only all the money is in those sectors, be almost because. Uh, you know, manufacturing has really kind of taken Almost a big hit in Canada mm-hmm. and the U.S., right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, what, do, what do we do when the uh, real estate bubble, uh, then what's going to happen? Where's the money going to be then? What, you know, I'm just just talking, but uh, it concerns me because, uh, you know, I don't want to well, have a big... Uh, 
big problem down the road. Or even today. Well, when, uh, you know, just like back in the late 80s, early 90s, when real estate crashed, cash was king. Those that were highly leveraged paid the price. Right. Those that weren't highly leveraged, yeah, they were able to ride it out. It wasn't pretty for them, but they were able to ride it out. Yeah. So push your money, money under your mattress? Is that the moral of the story? <laughs> <laughs> Don't have too much leverage is the story. <laughs> so when do you expect... Do you, I'm not, I'm not, obviously, I don't think that you're... You know, God or can forecast, but do you think the market, the real estate market, is going to crash anytime soon? If I could predict that, I'd be a billionaire. Yeah, you know what gets me is like I can't see like what would be the factors that would cause it because nobody wants to raise interest rates because the economy seems a little fragile, right? They is raise, it fragile? I, I don't know. You tell uh, they me. walk around the stores. Everybody's out having dinner. Everybody's shopping. Everybody's doing well. No, well, okay, so, but They're are spending they in, money. in increasing debt, though? Yeah, with increasing... I don't know. I, I, don't, yeah. I think that the, the debt levels are going up. People say the whole retail sector is being propped up by consumer debt rather than income, right? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Don't follow that kind of statistics. Yeah. Well, this is an... I remember, it, I, yeah. 2012, I was in Spain. And it was the height of all the financial problems in Europe. Spain was supposed to be in the doghouse economically on the verge of collapse. Yeah. I was there with a client, and your restaurants at night were packed. Yeah. In other words, we People heard were in it was the stores, a disaster, shopping. but over there, life was normal. and Life was, was relatively fine, normal. Real right? estate prices were crashing, but people yeah. were out enjoying themselves and enjoying life. Yeah. Um, and talking to the locals, yeah, okay. A lot of people worked in a cash world at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So. Um. Okay, so I had some more questions, but I don't know if I can uh, think of any right now. So the companies are in generally, you know, kind of situation normal. Some sectors are doing well, some Some not, are doing so. terribly. Some yeah. are doing mediocre. Yeah. I was going to ask you about um, regulation or over-regulation, because sometimes I think that uh, policymakers don't really understand, uh, you know, how difficult it is sometimes to run a business, right? Like it's the private sector that's kind of creating the wealth and uh, and you start to over-regulate that. And of course, it's the public sector that's mm -hmm. regulating the private sector. And uh, I don't know, do, do you have any comments about that, especially with regards to the accounting sector and uh, because that's part of the regulatory framework? So one quick question for you. Yeah. What's one of the main purposes of Parliament in Ottawa? The main, well, I would say to kind Real of... Uh, Income tax. Well, I would say to uh, kind of manage the context within all of society moves forward, including the private sector. They're mainly lawyers that go into politics. Yeah, I noticed that. And they measure their success on how many bills they pass in a session. Right. Which means every... Bill is more regulation of some sort. Yeah. So, so in other words, we're heavily overregulated. We're heavily regulated. In some areas, we're probably overregulated. But every time something happens on Bay Street or Wall Street, who gets blamed? The senior executives of companies, we have to regulate them more. Yeah. Because they don't know what they're doing. It's, it's, this is the story we always hear. Right. That they're crooked. So the politicians create all these more regulations yeah. to try to regulate something 
what they perceive as a big problem, which usually isn't a big problem. It's usually a few loose cannon as opposed to the whole sector. Right. Well, true, for sure. And I was going to make the point, you know, with if this is the case, and it gets more complicated all the time, and ever more regulation, at some point that regulation framework is going to be strangled. It's going to be, it's going to strangle, strangle. Strangle? Strangle the economy. Slow it down. Yeah, it's going to, like, make stuff bad. (laughs) 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 Right? I mean, uh, talk about a crash at some point. But the other thing, the opposite point I was going to make was that, like, when you had Reagan in and he was, like, deregulating the financial sector, a lot of those regulations had put in after the Depression for, you know. Right. Hopefully. And then, then we had 2008 happen partly as a result, uh, unless, you know, partly as a result of too much deregulation. And Was it? Well. Fannie Mae and Fannie Mac in the U.S. were government, quasi-government organizations. Right. But who came up with those, uh, <laughs> what were those, those, those bundled uh, mortgage securities, uh, whatever those things were? I forget yep. what they're called. But, you know, that it was the real problem that hit the fan eventually mm. like bad and then the regular or the the bond the the rating agencies right that were rating them bad like who's and the auditors that were auditing them and giving a clean opinion on them yeah like what happens like how do you know how do we prevent that kind of stuff from happening you'll never nice. prevent it from happening human nature human nature always a problem always trying to figure out a way around the rules that's human I nature i thought you said everybody wants to follow <laughs> you weren't serious. <laughs> There's a difference between out and out fraud and using the rules to your advantage. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So, so that's so, called Canada and the U.S. No, no. It's like when you file your personal <laughs> tax return. You report your income. You make an RSP contribution. You're legitimately allowed to deduct that RSP contribution against your other income. You don't have to. You can say, no, I'm not going to deduct it. But you choose to deduct it. That's using the rules to your advantage. Okay. Which really they only give to you to... It's really crazy. (laughs) When you think about it, it's really crazy. You know, I get your point. And if I can okay, yep, try to please, articulate please. it a little bit, because yep, it just I seems can. to me like that whole taxation um, system or whatever is like it's a it's a drag. And what I mean by that is like none of that is a. Uh, it's like a car. A car <laughs> moves people somewhere. Yep. Right, but it also has to move the car somewhere. So, if 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 you're if if the metal is heavy, if 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 everything in the car is really heavy, then your overall efficiency of the main point, which is getting a person from point A to point B, um, that's a drag, Burden. right? And it's right. like the whole the whole taxation uh, infrastructure is a drag on productive enterprise. Oh yeah, it seems like make work because Just it is well, work. it is make work, and yep. and the business people have to pay for it. Right? They have to, you know. And then that's usually trickles down to the customer or the consumer. Well, it does. Yeah. Of course. Right. And everybody, 
ends up paying for that. You know, it just seems like a big inefficiency somehow. And I don't think it has to be that complicated. Almost the world is more complex. Transactions are more complex. So, yeah, everything has to evolve to deal with it. It used to be very simple. simple the first income tax down. act was, you know, probably about that thick. And why can't we yeah. just get back to that? And now it's like this. And but shouldn't we simplify somehow? Because yeah. that, over, yeah. that whatever that burden of complexity and uh, yeah. make work uh, drag is, of, of, if that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, it will cause everything to crash eventually, right? And you're going to buckle under the weight of regulation. Yeah, and then right? private enterprise gives up and says I'm not just and then what then then we're in like perestroika right you won't be sitting here <laughs> I don't know where I'll be on uh, a beach somewhere <laughs> um, just so we're just about out of time is there anything else you want to bring up uh, nothing in particular no I have one more question then for okay. you Bitcoin any thoughts about that just for fun I had a client that tried to get into that business. Um, Not successful. It's if if a currency isn't backed by a, a strong a government, then it's really not a, a very good currency to be following. It's too subjective as to its value. Okay, that's an it, interesting perspective. And it can with it you can hide transactions, which is why it's a big attraction. Is you can transact isn't, in isn't the world the, where the government can't track you. Well, and isn't but isn't that the whole point though? You kind of want to do something that's non-government, overkill regulated, or and avoid taxes, or not pay taxes because well, we're overtaxed. No, even not. Do you li- simple question: Do you like your roads paved? Do you like your free medical care? Do you, you like your what? schools for you your children? You know what? I absolutely do. But that's not what I see happening. I see the roads not being paved and the guys having extra long lunches. And they sell 407 to On the side another of the road country. That should be paved. Right? That's what I see. Yeah. Should we trust the government but or I not? And I, I think that gets down to that issue really, right? Yeah. And, uh, yep. and, uh, and I how think, competent are they? Well, how yeah exactly and uh, so that's a big issue so uh, anyways but that's maybe a subject of a different interview yep yeah so this has been great Marco actually very enjoyable conversation yeah, it has, it has. good to meet you guys who yeah. knew that it was would not be boring <laughs> that's because we didn't talk about accounting <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's a good point so I mean just the uh, people out there uh, like the website I think we have it up there parker-simone.com but what kind of uh, clients are you looking for uh, maybe these days anybody watching this who, what kind of people do you want to deal with people uh, the key to me is um, clients that trust trust us that I trust them yeah. that I uh, that we get along well with that uh, there's a I always find that if there's a if you can develop a personal connection with someone, then they're, they're going to be a great client. Mm-hmm. If they're always, you know, I'll get introduced to people and a client will say, you got to meet Joe. And you meet Joe or, or Martha or whatever the person is. And you can tell almost right away that you're going to click yeah. with your advisor or you're not. And usually if you don't get that sense of, um, mm-hmm. uh, call it camaraderie, friendship that you can develop. Or just chemistry. Chemistry, right? whatever yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. They're not going to be a client for very long. Okay. So any kind okay. of... We have clients that work out of their house, just one employee, to look very large companies within international operations. So it's not... 
it, there's there's no magic as to size or anything like that. So just any kind of company and uh, any, any industry, any industry, any sector. Yep. Public. We or do it Private. All. Yep. Okay. Numbers are numbers. Num really. I'm gonna have to go look that up <laughs> after. But uh, anyways, uh, Marco, great to meet you and great Likewise to do you. this. So thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you. Good to meet you. So I think we'll take a little break here on Liquid Lunch. That might be it. I don't know. It's Thursday. Kind of feels like a Friday, but uh, we'll have another Friday tomorrow. So we're not too concerned about that. Groundhog so. Day. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> no, that's in February. <laughs> okay. That's All right. We'll see you next time, guys. <laughs> Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.